Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. On September 11, 2001, Crown Council member Dr. Bob and Pat Zampieri lost their son, Robbie, in the World Trade Center. In an effort to do some good out of such a bad tragedy, Bob and his family established a foundation to benefit St. Anthony's High School in inner-city Jersey City, New Jersey. And it's easy to see why. Over the last 15 years, every student who has graduated from St. Anthony's has been accepted to college. Many of the school's 250 students come from homes below the poverty level. The school has to raise over $1 million a year just to stay open and keep tuition affordable. Out of its many accomplishments, St. Anthony's is also the home of one of the winningest coaches in American high school basketball. Coach Bob Hurley is coming off his 36th season, having secured 23 state championships, and his third recognition is leading the number one national high school boys basketball team in the country. His career of 933 wins and only 102 losses makes him one of the greats in coaching. But this story is much more than just about winning a basketball game. It's about winning in life. Coach Hurley's athletic program has produced hundreds of college athletes as well as professional athletes. He produces great young men through a great athletic program. He's become one of the highest-profile high school coaches in America, who has spent most of his career working part-time as a coach for the school while maintaining other positions to earn a living. He routinely turns down much higher-paying jobs because of his dedication to St. Anthony's and the inner-city kids he works with. So it is with deep gratitude to Dr. Bob and Pat Zampieri that we welcome one of the greats in American high school sports, Coach Bob Hurley, as this month's Crown Council Mentor of the Month. Bob, welcome. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate you taking the time with us today. I have heard a lot about you over the years from Dr. Zampieri. He sent me a copy of the book that was written about you in the school called The Miracle at St. Anthony's, and uh, you have quite a legacy that you've built there. So maybe you could take us back uh, a few decades and uh, fill us in on what got you interested in coaching in the first place and what got you started. Sure. Well, I, I began uh, uh, coaching while I was playing at St. Peter's College, and uh, it started with my uh, my brother, uh, my brother Brian's CYO team uh, had a fireman who was coaching, and he couldn't always get to practice. So what they they needed someone to go to to the gym at night so that they would be able to use the gym. They needed an adult. So my brother said, you know, you're barely an adult, you know, as a freshman in college, but the, uh, the custodian will let us practice or you just go sit there. So I started to sit during their practices and, and couldn't let them just run around crazy. I started organizing them. So as a freshman in college, I began, you know, thinking that I needed to organize, uh, you know, kids in basketball, started running summer leagues, and within a couple of years I was now uh, over at St. Anthony's uh, coaching the freshman team. Fantastic. Well, every uh, coach and business person or professional has a philosophy that directs what they do. You obviously have one. I don't think you could have achieved the kind of success you have with without one. So fill us in on the basics of your your philosophy. Yeah, well, you know, the first thing I think is that uh, teachers and parents and people that uh, are around young people don't challenge them to uh, 
people that are allowed to be very average when they have the potential to do a lot more. And, and my feeling has always been is that the kids that come to me that really love basketball, I'm going to challenge them now in basketball first uh, to be the best they can be and then let that carry over into their personal life and then their academic situation. So it starts with having some control of them. And then once we get them into it, I think it's you know mastering the, the basics. I don't think you want to move on to anything until you've mastered the fundamentals. Uh, we really emphasize uh, kids being team-oriented. We don't keep really, Steve, we don't keep, keep much individual statistics in school. Most of our statistics are team-driven. Uh, we want to build, you know, from the bottom up, we want to build a, a, found, a sound foundation in the freshman and JV program, a fundamental so that the kids move up and they're learning the St. Anthony's way of doing things. And then as we're moving along, we don't want to let little things slip by us on blocking out on a foul shot or just uh, throwing a bounce pass correctly. We don't want to let it slip by and have it come back later on to be a problem. And the last thing is we want to try to be as much as we can. We want to try to be cutting edge. So when it's innovations in the sport, uh, I try to get to about six or eight different clinics a year so I hear the best people that basketball uh, you know, has to offer, hear, hear their thoughts on things, and try to implement as many of those as I can with the um, all great, all great points. Thank you. Uh, you're working with and in an environment that is, by nature, very challenging. You're working in an inner city with a lot of kids that come from homes below the poverty level. How do you help the players see and believe in their own true potential when what gets mirrored back from their environment might tell them something different? Is that required reading?
All right, so I I gotta I'm gonna take that one step further, uh, because this is a motivation question: is how do you get a you know an inner city kid that may not initially be that interested in education? He wants to play ball, and but part of the development here is to is to read and read biographies. Is do they have a set requirement where they have to read a book? Do you just encourage them to do it? How do you how do you get them in the book in the first place? So it becomes part of the culture of the team. good. You have a reputation for being pretty tough. Maybe you could share with us your philosophy on discipline and how you carry it out. Sign my varsity kids. I haven't signed a contract. 
So uh, I assume you get some pretty good response. That's a they get the spirit of the whole team aspect of it pretty quick. Yeah. Well, you know, if, if you come into practice at 15 minutes late on a Saturday or, or a Sunday morning, and you didn't call in advance to say that there was a problem with uh, transportation or something at home, uh, when you come in late now, we just stop the practice as soon as you're dressed, and we have everybody do. If you're 15 minutes late, everybody does 15 minutes of conditioning, but you, because you're just being irresponsible. You know, everybody has an ability to reach everybody now. You know, coaches all have cell phones. Kids all have a way of contacting. So sure. I think that's just not being responsible. And that's the way to prepare for the, you know, for, for the jobs you get. You know, you don't, you don't just walk into, late to a job. You call in advance and say, I had car trouble or this traffic or, you know, we had somebody sick overnight. And you, you let the, uh, you know, you let your supervisor know that you're going to be late. And, uh, and then you come in the door and, uh, and life goes on. Coach, I can tell you that there are some people listening to this right now that just heard that that wished that you had trained some people that they have hired in the past. Well, you know, I always say, Steve, that I think the participation in organized sports, if done properly, gives a person an advantage because you can build into it some some disciplines that you may not get in everyday life. Well, absolutely. Well, there's lessons for life. And so that kind of leads me to to the next question, which is tell us about some of the players you've worked with over the last 36 years who you consider to be some of your biggest successes. Now when he had 
to come to practice. He couldn't function. So it took him all of June year to learn how to go to school all day and then, uh, you know, function in the afternoon. And then he went on as a senior and, and did well enough to get himself a scholarship to uh, junior college. Didn't have the grades at this point with only two years of really working at it. And he was coming from public housing, so he had all kinds of tugs on him. But he went to a junior college, went on to Utah State, uh, graduated from Utah State, and he's now a sheriff's officer down in uh, down in Florida. And he came up to see us recently. It was a family uh, family event here. And he's now uh, you know married. He looks uh, looks terrific. Everything's going great. But he was just floundering until somebody made him do something, and then he had to catch up and he had realized that he was so far behind. And he did all this catch up, and now he's got a degree in criminal justice, and he's working as a you know sheriff's officer. And you know, we're very proud of that guy. Very cool. So the next one, though, is probably, I think, of, of the stories is probably the, the most miraculous. Uh, there's a young man named Rashawn Burnow who graduated from St. Anthony's in, in 1997. He was on three great teams. He was a five foot seven guard who was just a tough, tough kid. And his parents both died when he was uh, when he was late in grammar school. And uh, he he was on social he had a social security check that he was living by. And he had some family members that were kind of monitoring, you know, how his life was going, but in, in, in pretty much was raising himself. He lived in an apartment in the Duncan Projects in Jersey City, had a mattress on the floor, would collect his, uh, would, would get his uh, Social Security check cashed, would hide the cash in the house, and would buy food that he would cook himself, and uh, managed to get himself through high school facing all kinds of, you know, all kinds of obstacles with, uh, uh, you know, financial, uh, being able to make make adult decisions all the time as a 17-year-old, and uh, and left St. Anthony's and got a scholarship to uh, DePaul University out of Chicago. He was the captain of a team at DePaul when he was a senior, and uh, he now has uh, two small businesses he's involved in. He's a, uh, he's a financial planner, and he's a high school basketball coach out in Chicago. Wow. And, uh, very, very proud of him. He's involved right now in a production company that just did a documentary about St. Anthony's. And uh, this is a guy who was basically made all of his own decisions since age 15. And I guess if you make all your own decisions from age 15 and on, not so difficult to help adults make uh, decisions about you know, managing money because you've been managing your own money since you're, uh, you know, since you're a young kid. That's right. And our guy for this year, which we're extremely proud of, is one of our kids, Mike Rosario. He's uh, is, uh, he just has graduated from St. Anthony's. And uh, Mike, from the time he was, I guess, in about the fourth grade, uh, the Jersey City Boys Club uh, and St. Anthony's have a very strong relationship. And Gary Greenberg, who's the program director there, used to bring him to our gym and make him sit and watch us practice because he had this kid was uncontrollable. In his uh, couldn't sit through school, uh, would explode. It's a great athlete, would explode at all athletic events, and he would continuously bring him over to watch us practice in hopes that this would have some effect on him. So as as he went through grammar school, you know, as they say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, the whole city of Jersey City was working on on raising Mike Rosario. We were uh, he fortunately moved out of the same project that uh, Rashawn Burno had lived in. He moved to another part. 
athlete we thought he was going to become, but his transcript was starting to look much, much better. And in the beginning of this year, he accepted a scholarship to Rutgers University. He's academically qualified. Every person that's ever, you know, touched this young man is so feels so good about this because it's not been easy for anybody. You know, he's, you know, uh, he's worked extremely hard to get to where he is. He recently uh, was selected the Player of the Year in our state and the uh, and the Tri-State New York, New Jersey, uh, Connecticut Player of the Year and participated in the McDonald's All-American Game and, and scored 18 points in the game. We watched him on television and the people on the, you know the people that were doing the game kept kept talking about how the passion this kid has and how hard he plays and all these good qualities that he had. But now he's got uh, you know he's got an academic portfolio that. Maybe that doesn't rival what he did uh, athletically, but at least it's something now that he can look back and say, I earned this. So we hear examples like that, and I'm sure that's just the surface of hundreds uh, that you've worked with over the years. Uh, I understand that some people, maybe to your dislike, call you a social worker. (laughs) To what extent is that true or not true, and why? Well, um, I think what happens is I'm a basketball coach first. So, you know, as kids come in to play, you start to observe them, and then you start to learn about them. And then you start to involve yourself, I think naturally involve yourself in uh, guiding them. And then you continue to find out more about them, and you find that, uh, you know, I have a very, uh, and I try to use it judiciously, I have a tremendous amount of influence. So what I want to be able to do now is use this influence and steer the person out of things that they shouldn't be involved in and into things that they need to get involved in, whether it's tutoring or uh, you know, getting kids out of the neighborhood, getting a kid to join an AAU program so that on, the, on a weekend, uh, there's a weekend trip someplace for a tournament and the kid is not going to be home in the neighborhood because the neighborhood, uh, his peers could be stifling to be around them. So... Uh, you know, you don't coach, you don't just coach number 11, the point guard on your team. I think you coach number 11, uh, the person inside that uniform, and then you find out about that person. And not everybody needs the extra stuff. Some of you kids just need to go to the gym and maybe work on their shooting a little bit more, or they may need a strength program, or somebody may just need, uh, you know, to get an SAT program started. But others may need, you know, some, some, some way more important things. What happens in that period of, the period of time, you can either ignore it or you can step in and, and build a relationship with the, per, with the young person and then, because of that relationship, try to help them in those areas. I'd far prefer to do that. So if that means that you know, somebody looks at me as being a social worker, uh, I think high school coaches build relationships with players. Uh, you're, you're their coach for life. So when it's time to make a decision about getting married or they're going to, you know, one of the kids called me yesterday and he was talking to me about, he's a criminal justice major, we're talking about some areas he may uh, put some applications in for a couple 
you and those are great examples because I understand that your your players say of you that you have a unique ability to translate through basketball to daily life. You've given us some great examples of those. Thanks. Give us Thanks. give us a couple more of of how you take lessons in athletics and translate them to skills they'll use in the future. Well, you know, I think I think what you want to find out is that a lot of times something you just not good at you just haven't put enough time in that particular thing so if it's a deficiency in school or it's a deficiency in sports it's a lack of strength or conditioning or a lot of things it's just you need to put more time in that so you start by getting organized now and, and focusing on a problem and developing a work ethic where you, you're now going to work to eliminate that thing you're going to take something to maybe weakness and try to turn it into a strength, but at least try to eliminate the fact that it's a weakness. Uh, I think I think anybody who's a member of an organization, a team, or a club, or activity, you want to understand your role. So I think a big thing is communication. You know, we want to communicate to the kids what we think their role is. We're always trying to expand the person's role based on how they, you know, how they adjust to the role you give them and how they try to expand the role by by their effort. Um, you explain, like St. Anthony's this year finished the season as the number one high school team in the country. All kinds of individual success came to players after team success. So we worked first on teamwork, and we geared towards team success. And at the end of the year, individual honors came for many kids. Uh, the recognition has been tremendous. But instead of us seeking the individual recognition first, we like being a member of an organization. You know, at the end of the year, everybody benefits from the success of the organization. If during the year people try to concentrate on their own individual thing, then perhaps the organization's success will not be there. So we really try to work that team thing. Uh, you want to get kids to learn to think on their feet. You know, the great, terrific thing about sports is you want to develop it. You know, you want to develop this feeling that while the game is going on, you've rehearsed so much for the moment that while it's going on, you see the moment almost in slow motion. And when a team becomes very good at things, the game seems to slow down. The more mature and the more uh, experienced the group is, the game becomes relatively easy to see. The younger they are, sometimes the speed of the game and things are happening, they just can't, uh, they can't stay with that. So, but, you know, learning to think uh, on your feet and, and, to, and to see things as they're happening is very important. And then the last thing, which is very important, is it says a lot about a person what happens when it's an obstacle in your path and how you deal with that. Because, you know, uh, a clear road of success is not too difficult to, to handle, but when obstacles or failures are put in your, in your path, how do you respond to that? Because that's the real mark of, you know, who you are as a person. And I think those things all, you know, get, get, get a young person to be able to function. You know, we don't have problems with kids get jobs. Jersey City, and they may have a demanding uh, person that's hired them. They, the kids will come back to me and say, eh, Coach, he's kind of a tough guy, but uh, you know, I can deal with it. <laughs> well, and it's easy to tell why. Now, you, I understand that one of your biggest competitors is your own son who coaches a, another high school basketball team in your area. Correct. You raised your own competition. <laughs> so I understand that he he has said of you that you are tough on everybody, and I assume that comes from his own personal experience. 
So tell us how so, and how does that contribute to your success? I always think that when you're in the moment, you don't, I think this goes for all young people, when you're in the moment, you just think that the pressure on you is enormous. When you're removed from the eye of the storm and you look, you look at it later on and you observe another group, your observation is that the, uh, myself, for example, I don't drive the next group of kids as hard as I drove the person who's just left the group. So almost, almost yearly, as the kids come back, they'll say to me that I don't seem to be as demanding as I was when they were in school. And I just kind of think it's because they're in uh, they're in that moment, and it's all about them, and they just they're not really maybe realistic about what exactly is going on. Because what we do is we set the bar very high. I don't lower the bar, and many days the kids don't come ready to go, and I'm ready every single day. Difference between you know being a, an adult and being a, an adolescent. So I challenge them every day. I don't let them I don't let them do less than their best. So it becomes, you know, it becomes a problem at times because they're just not ready to do it every day. Uh, and as I said earlier, uh, teachers, parents, people will allow kids to be less than their best. They want to be, they want to be their friend. I say to the kids all the time, particularly now. Now I'm a grandfather. I've got five grandchildren. My music is oldies. They're listening to rap. I'm wearing, uh, you know, my clothes are, are comfortable. Uh, middle-aged outfits, they're wearing, you know, trendy clothes. The only common ground we have is that they're playing for me. I've been doing this a long time, and during this magical carpet ride, they're going to have to hang with me the whole time. And I say to them all the time, i got a strong pair of shoulders. If I need to sometimes, we can all jump on my shoulders. I'll get us through the practice that day because you're kids, but the next day you're going to have to come in and show me that you understood that you weren't ready yesterday. I drove us through the day. The next day, it's back to you again. So let's take uh, take out those that violate your rules of, uh, you know, using drugs and not using drugs and alcohol. I'm sure you've you've lost some kids to those things, but maybe you could share with us any other examples of players that you have not been able to work with that you had to let go. about them and they're concerned about more about the individual stuff. 
have to dress uh, in school uniform for most of the events that we we participate in. And then part of the contract is, you know, curfew and, and these other things. And there are kids that just, you know, they don't want to cut their hair to play basketball. And, you know, kids have gone to St. Anthony's as freshmen and not cut their hair cut. And they've told other kids that they'll, they're going to wait for coach to, to uh, go to them and let them come to, you know, tryouts with their hair long. And they've graduated and no one's ever gone to them to, you know, to get them to, uh, you know, get their hair cut. Because I think in order to be a part of an organization, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be tough with rewards. You got to give some things up. So right off the bat, you're giving up, you're, you're giving up some of these uh, things right now that I think are not long term. You know, a, a 15-year-old kid getting a tattoo at age 15, he may not be happy with that tattoo when he's 35 years old, and and now his children are growing up and they're looking at tattoos that were uh, put on his body when he had the mindset of a 15-year-old. So we try to do those things to try to help them. Uh, and then when they want to, if they want to, you know, if they want to adorn their body with tattoos when they go to college, they've at least waited till they're a point where they're, uh, you know, away from us and at an age where if they make that decision, you know, uh, I hope they can live with it because, again, it's something that uh, it's kind of trendy. And I assume that's detailed out in your contract. Yes, it is. Yes, that's part. Yeah, the kids, the kids kind of know when they they take it home. We say to them, you know, you take it home and. Uh, you don't have to sign it, but if you don't sign it, then you know you really need to, you know, you need to, you know, do something else because it's 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 not negotiable. When you look at the the overall success at St. Anthony's, you've got sixty percent or so of your students come from homes below the poverty level. Yet nearly every graduate gets accepted to go to college, which that in and of itself is an amazing accomplishment. So when you look at the big picture of the organization as a whole, not just the athletic program, but the whole organization, what is it that happens there that creates that kind of a successful result? Okay. Well, I think first of all you have to have you know staff that's dedicated. The uh, teachers at school have made a decision that uh, this particular school that they work at, the, the benefits of working with these people, they feel very good about it. It's not salary, you know, the coaches at the school. Uh, we, we, we love coaching at the school because the kids, uh, basketball is important to them. So it's, it's something that we know. The kids are like pieces of clay. You can mold them because they want to be good in basketball. It's, it's something that their, their self-esteem will build up in other areas, but basketball is very important. But the faculty, I think, cares about the kids. I think the coaches care about them. Uh, it's a small school. So we can nurture, you can nurture young people, you can bring them along, you can identify who they are. Uh, they get the attention in class, every teacher, the kids know every teacher, the teachers know kids by, uh, by first name basis. It's not, uh, not just large, large groups of kids, you know, in and out. Uh, we have a lot of remediation, so kids who come into high school that have, you know, have to improve their math or they have to improve their reading skills, we're able to bring them along. Uh, as I said, small classes give give the opportunity for a person to uh, to stand out uh, and, and to draw attention to themselves. I think they come in with a desire to be successful. I just don't think they know you know what it takes. So we try to we try to give them a master plan, you know, for being successful. 
So for anybody who has to lead and manage people, and uh, that certainly is something you do on a daily basis in a, in a broader sense, what advice would you give anybody in a leadership or management position to be more effective at getting people to perform at a higher level? Great ideas. Uh, obviously, a great success story, not only in the athletic program, but the school uh, as a whole. And we know that Dr. Zampieri has dedicated a tremendous amount of time to helping raise money for, for the school through his foundation's efforts. Maybe you could fill us in quickly uh, for those who would like to financially contribute to St. Anthony's. Uh, tell us how they could do that. Sure. Well, we, we, run, we run a couple of golf tournaments. So we have a development office. 
the book that was written about you and the program, Miracle at St. Anthony's, which has been out for a couple of years, but uh, chronicles, uh, as I understand it, a year in, in your life with uh, one of the more challenging teams that you've had and as a great read as well, and that's available on Amazon as well as uh, bookstores around the country. Coach, thanks for your time today. We appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your experience with us, and congratulations on your success uh, on the court, but even more so the success that you've created in the lives of hundreds of kids. You're a great inspiration to all of us. Steve, thanks for having me, Coach. Thank you. Our thanks again to Coach Bob Hurley for his wisdom and insights. In an effort to translate knowledge into action, Here's a brief six-point summary of Coach Hurley's ideas for your consideration and application. First, what is your leadership philosophy, and is it time to upgrade it? Coach Hurley suggested six aspects to his own philosophy that you might want to consider adding to your own. First, continually challenge each team member to reach his or her potential. Two, as a team... Master the basics. Three, keep your efforts focused on the team as a whole. Play as a team and win as a team. Four, put more emphasis on team statistics rather than just on individual statistics. Five, don't let the little things slip by. Small things add up to be big things. Six, stay on the cutting edge by attending CE regularly. Point number two, develop a culture of continual improvement and individual potential. What mentors does your team have as a team as well as individually? Coach Hurley brings his successful graduates back to mentor his current students. How can you expose your team to other successful teams so that they can see a brighter vision of what's possible? What do you read as a team? Coach Hurley has created an athletic library with biographies of successful athletes for the players to read about. Do you have a practice library where your team can read, learn, and grow? Do your team conversations center around examples that you look to that you can model and emulate? Number three, team discipline. How well have you defined the behavioral expectations of your team so that you can maintain the discipline of success? Coach Hurley has his team members sign a behavioral contract with detailed expectations and consequences. If it's been a while, you might want to revisit the idea of an office culture guide, explained on a previous Crown Council Mentor of the Month program and available online at www.mycrowncouncil.com. Four, are you managing the whole person or just a position in your office? Coach Hurley told us that he always has to remember that there is a person behind the number on the jersey. His job is to get to know the person and what makes them tick. It's all about communication. Any area of weakness is an opportunity to spend time to develop that area into a strength. One of our jobs is to help identify those areas and challenge ourselves and our team members to work diligently to improve. Five, you're not everyone's coach. 
Even one of the winningest coaches in the country can't make every player into a winner. Two ingredients that Coach Hurley mentioned were that, one, each player has to have the same vision in order to play. In his case, that vision includes succeeding as a team and valuing the education they're getting. And two, watch out for personal agendas that conflict with the team's purpose and goals. A team simply can't win unless all the players are playing the same way, running the same way down the court, and are playing out of the same playbook. Sixth, and finally, a few management tips. First, constantly plan for the present and the future. Meet frequently with your team for meaningful, accountable action planning. Second, say something positive about each team member within the first 15 minutes of your day. Now, that may be a little easier if you're coaching basketball, but the same general rule applies. Make it a point to say some words of encouragement, appreciation, or gratitude to each team member every day as early in the day as possible. And third, constantly work on motivational tools to keep your team out of getting stuck in a rut. We all need encouragement and inspiration. Look for new ways to do that every day. We hope you will listen and re-listen to this recording with Coach Bob Hurley. It contains even more ideas than we've just listed that apply to any team on or off the court. It's all part of the commitment to continual improvement and excellence that's part of the Crown Council mission. So from all of us at the Crown Council, good luck as you take the next step in developing your winning team. <music>